Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 12, 22 to 37. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him. He healed him so that the man could both speak and see. All the crowds were astounded and said, could this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the one to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every callous word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, yeah, my name is Ricky. I serve as one of the pastors here. Um, have you ever been around some friends or maybe a married couple, and they're talking, and you kind of notice things are starting to heat up? Um, and they're starting to, there's tension building. I'm um, not talking about romantic tension, but it's like, uh-oh, hey, wait a minute. What's, they, they start to seem like they're, they're a little bit at odds with one another. This confl conflict is maybe coming. They're kind of starting to bicker a little bit. And you feel a little weird because you're, you're kind of watching this play out. And... <clears throat> You feel awkward, but also you're kind of like grabbing your bag of popcorn and be like, let's, let's watch this thing. Let's see what happens here. Here we go. All right. And, um, and it's kind of going and you're like, ooh, you know, what's, you know, what's going to happen? And uh, if you're like, no, I've never seen that happen. Maybe, maybe you're that, that couple or those friends, you know, that people are always watching. But um, you're, you're watching this and then somebody says something all of a sudden and they just kind of drop a bomb and you kind of like pause chewing your popcorn. You're like, whoa. Wait a minute. I mean, did they just, what did they just say? Did I hear them say that right? What does that mean? Oh my gosh, is that, is that true? What, what is it? Do they really feel that way? Or did that really happen? You know, it's, it's like the, the conflict that the, these, these people are having or this couple, and you're like, uh, wait a minute. Now, now we've gone to another level. This, this is stepped up, and you feel like, Maybe now is the time, you know, I'll just set my popcorn down and I'll just see myself out the door. I, I don't know if I want to be a part of this anymore because it's just so uncomfortable. Well, here in Matthew 12, it kind of feels like that. 
there's, there's Jesus, the Son of God, and the Messiah, and then there's the Pharisees, these religious leaders, and Jesus has been... Um, been talking, been doing ministry, and, and this kind of tension is happening between them as, you've been, as we've been going through the book of Matthew. And then all of a sudden now in chapter 12, the Pharisees just say like, and you're Satan, by the way. You're doing all this by the power of Satan. It's like, oh, hey, wait a minute. Now, now is this kind of, this feels a little bit more tense than we don't know if we like you and stuff like that. This feels a little bit more. But then Jesus says something. Oh, yeah, hey, everything can be forgiven except, except that. And it's just like, I don't know. You know, that, that, that might cause us to feel like, hey, this, now this feels really awkward. What does that mean? What is going on here? And so rather than us just kind of seeing ourselves out the door as we see this conflict happening in uh, chapter 12 because it feels awkward, hey, let's just actually kind of lean in to what is going on here between the, the religious establishment, the religious leaders, and Jesus, and show us, hey, what is Jesus actually really saying? What is really going on here? And what does this really mean for us today when we think about forgiveness, or we think about being responsive or rejecting who God is in the Holy Spirit and how it ties to our human heart? So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew 12. Matthew 12, it's the first book of the New Testament, so about two-thirds of the way back your Bible. So Matthew 12, um, so then, then a demon-possessed man, verse 22, who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him. So they bring this guy to Jesus, and he healed him so that the man could both speak and see. All the crowds were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? So Jesus heals this guy. He couldn't talk, couldn't see, and, and it seems to maybe be caused by this, this demon possession. And now the people are like, whoa. I mean, earlier in the book of Matthew, they're like astonished. Oh, we've never seen anything like this uh, in, in our day. We've never seen anything like this. But now it's kind of going to this another level. Man, could, could this be the son of David? And when they say that, they're, they're saying, hey, could this be the Messiah? Could, could this really be the promised one? They're, they're kind of wondering this about Jesus. And then the Pharisees, they're, they're watching everything play out. They hear the people kind of actually wondering, hey, is this, is this our Savior? Verse 24, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man drives out demons by Beelzebul, and then this is kind of like another name for, for Satan, the devil, ruler of demons. And so they, they, the, the Pharisees, again, these religious leaders, they can't even entertain the thought that Jesus might be from God, that he might be the Messiah. Jesus doesn't fit in their box. Hey, if the Messiah comes... He's, he's going to kind of kick out the Romans, right? He's going to kick out the suppression that we're seeing, and he's going he's to bring in a new kingdom, and this kingdom is going to be Israel on top, Israel totally free. Well, Jesus doesn't seem to be fitting in with that. He's not getting rid of Roman rulership. And they also thought, hey, if, if we really follow the law, remember in the Old Testament, um, when, when, when the, a lot of the Israelites were sent off to exile, why did they get sent off? Because they weren't being faithful to God. So the Pharisees were like, if we just be faithful to God, if we just really follow the rules, then the Messiah will come and he'll bless us. And then he'll, get, he'll, 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 he'll uphold the good people and he'll kick out the bad. He'll judge them. And of course, those people are the bad people. And the Pharisees thought, and we're the good guys. Because we're really following these rules. They're very hyper-religious. We're the good guys. And I mean, 
And, and think, the Pharisees, they, their response here, they don't even praise God. I mean, here's a guy, he couldn't speak. He couldn't, couldn't see. He's, he's oppressed by, by a demon, by a demonic force. They can't even be like, well, hey, that's awesome. They, they don't even give any acknowledgement. They're just like, hmm, Satan, boom. I mean, it's like that old church lady person from uh, Saturday Night Live. You may remember that with Dana Carvey. Oh, yeah, well, okay, great. I'm older. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it'd be like he would see something red, and he'd be like, oh, well, that's a really nice color. Um, you know, but that, that reminds me of someone else. Could it be Satan? Uh, so so, so, so this, this is these, these Pharisees, they just see that like, oh, hey, hey, you, you, you kicked out a demon out of a person. They're healed. That, you know how you did that? We can't, we can't say it's from God, we, you know, but, it, but you're displaying a lot of power, Jesus, so we can't say it's from God. So what's kind of the other resort? The only other explanation, well, hey, it's basically like sorcery. You, you do it by a different power, by, by Satan. It comes from him. And then they've actually done this earlier in chapter 9. And, and even Jesus talks about it in chapter 10, that they're kind of attributing Jesus' his power to that. So it's not all of a sudden this, this, this all of a sudden reaction from the Pharisees. This has been building, this resistance that the Pharisees, it's kind of like this. Jesus comes onto the scene, he's preaching repentance uh, for the kingdom of God is near. And the Pharisees are kind of like this, like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And it just keeps getting worse. The, the, this, this resistance to Christ. It's not mere skepticism or being, or just wondering or being reluctant. This is like, no, like we're, we're rejecting you. And they're even trying to hinder other people from coming to Jesus. The crowds are wondering, but like, no, you know, you shouldn't be wondering that if he's the Messiah. He's not. He's doing this by another power. And so the first point is, is what we see here is this, hearts hardened. <clears throat> Excuse me, hearts are hardened. And so then, Jesus, he responds to their accusation. Verse 25, knowing their thoughts, he told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, right? If, if, if the devil is kind of driving out the agents of the devil, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Bezalbald, by whom do your sons, the, the people that, you, that are following you, the people that you've trained, how do they drink, uh, drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judge. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come uh, upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. And so... Jesus approached this very, very, this very, their accusation against him very logical. Just basically, hey, a house that's divided against itself, if Satan is fighting against himself, why would he even be doing that? He's, that, that would, he would be going against himself if that's what he's doing here. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. And, and then when, when Jesus says, hey, if I drive them out by the power of Satan, then who do your sons or who do, who do your followers, the people that you've trained, how do they do it out? Because if, if I'm doing kind of maybe, maybe what, you know, and there's no record of them actually doing it, but if you claim that they do that, then wouldn't it, logic, wouldn't it make sense that they're doing it by the power of Satan as well? But the Pharisees, they can't say that, right? They can't say, oh yeah, you're doing it by the power of Satan and so are the people that we've trained, right? Because then it's saying we trained them 
the same way, right? I mean, like, then they're, uh, you know, kind of agents of Satan as well. And so when, when Jesus says, hey, let your followers, let your sons judge you, that if, if they agree with you that I cast out the demons by the power of Satan, right, then they are actually, judge, they, they're, judge, they're saying that they're also agents of Satan and they condemn the training that you gave them. But if they disagree with you and say, I'm doing it by the power of God, then they still condemn you because what you're saying is wrong. And so, that, so Jesus is just, um, you know, just, just kind of punking them, honestly, just because Jesus is God and, and he's way smarter than them. And so he, he's just approaching this really logically. And then Jesus says, um, hey, how do, you, how do you steal from a strong man? Well, you don't just go in there and, and just take, take from him. You first got to tie him up. And if you tie up the strong man, then... You can steal his stuff. And so Jesus is saying, hey, yeah, Satan is strong, right? But how am I overcoming his, his rulership? How am I overcoming his power? I'm the stronger man coming in and tying him up. I'm bounding him. And the reason that I'm able to come in and, and you know, cast out these demons and heal people and all these things is because I have greater power than Satan I have greater authority than Satan, and so I've been, been tying him up. I've been bounding him, and that's how I'm able to do this. The, the rule of God through Christ is breaking into this world, and, and he's like, Jesus is saying, hey, you're seeing this. When he says, hey, if I'm doing this by the power of God, the kingdom of God is upon you. That's what's happening, and then um, he goes on in, in verse 30, and he says, Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. And so Jesus is just saying, hey, there's, when it comes to Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus is saying, there's no neutrality. There's no middle ground. You're either for me or against me. You either believe in me or you don't. I think a lot of times we like to think like, oh, I can either believe in Jesus or I can be okay with Jesus. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people where it's just like, hey, I think a lot of the teachings of Jesus are really good. I don't think that he died and rose again. I don't think that, or I don't think he rose again. I don't think that he died to pay the price for sin, but I, I like a lot of his teaching. And so then they think that they're with Jesus. That is not being with Jesus. That's being against Jesus. Because Jesus never came and said, hey, I'm just a good teacher. You can just accept my teaching, but not believe in me, the source of life, and you're with me. That's not true at all. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the only way to God the Father. And so Jesus is just saying, hey, you either believe in me as the Son of God, and you're with me, or you don't. That's it. There's no middle ground. There's no, I can like Jesus, but I don't really believe in him. If, you, if that's the case, you're just really not with Jesus. You really haven't believed in him. And so, and look at verse 31 and 32. So, you know, Jesus, again, they, they, they accuse Jesus of, of doing all this by demonic power. He's, he responds to them, and then he keeps going. Therefore, I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy of the Spirit against the Spirit will not be forgiven. 
Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, before I get to the part that you're all probably wondering about, like, you, you know, Ricky, why don't you just tell us what I can't be forgiven of? Jesus said, I, there's something that we can't be forgiven of, and just, I just need to know if I've done that. Um, you know, just, just talk to me. Just answer the question. Before I get to that, I mean... Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, you can be forgiven of every sin. Right? I mean, he says it right there. You, you can be forgiven of every sin. I mean, many times we think that, that God will forgive the little stuff, but then when it comes to bigger sin, God's kind of a little bit more hesitant. God kind of forgives those, and you make up the gap. You know, if you, God forgives, kind of, but then I act really good, and then God forgives me the whole way. That's what we tend to think. God's not so doing, you know, going to completely forgive the big things. I mean, th think of King David in the Old Testament. He murdered a guy to steal his wife and commit adultery with her and cover up his sin. That's bad. I mean, that, that's sin. And God forgave him because he repented. The Apostle Paul, he persecuted Christians, had people thrown in jail, had, had people stoned to death. By that, I mean rocks, just in case there's any confusion. <laughs> right? I mean, like, I mean, like, I've never had a week like that where it's like, what'd you do, Ricky? You know what? This other guy, I, did, I just didn't agree with him, and I got some other people around, and we picked up rocks, and we took care of business. Right? I mean, you're like, whoa, hey. I'm going to make a phone call to the cops, right? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a bad day, but yet God forgave him because Paul turned to Christ. He gave his life to Christ. So, I mean, God will forgive a lot. And I mean, if you're sitting here, you're like, man, well, what about me, Ricky? Will God forgive that? Yeah. Hey, but you don't know what I've done. You're absolutely right. God does. And he will forgive it. God, I mean, Jesus says every sin will be forgiven. Every sin. I mean, G G Jesus even says, hey, you could even blaspheme me. You know, you could speak against Jesus. You could speak, he says, you could speak against me. Jesus is the ultimate king. I mean, he's, he's God in flesh. Royalty. I mean, in, in ancient times, you didn't speak against royalty. Even kind of. You didn't disrespect them. If you disrespected royalty, that might literally cost you your life. Or being thrown in jail. And Jesus is like, yeah, hey, you could, you could speak against me. They're, they're basically, Jesus is saying, hey, there's not this, really this time that I'm going to come in there and be like, how dare you talk to me that way? Gee, I mean, Peter, the disciple, the, the apostle, he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus forgave him. I think it's kind of funny. Maybe it's not totally funny, but I mean, today in our world, we get really offended really easily. But the, but the kind of the narrative out there is truth is relative. Well, if truth is relative, then why are we always so easily offended? Right? So just be like, well, whatever you think. But Jesus right here, he's absolute truth. Right? Jesus is absolute truth standing right there and they're punking him. And Jesus isn't offended. Jesus doesn't seem to be throwing a little fit. 
But Jesus says, hey, I, I can forgive any of those things. I mean, this, 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 this text actually should really encourage us. The, the depths of the forgiveness of, and mercy of Jesus. He'll forgive your lust, your pride, your greed, your selfishness, your anger. In Psalm 25, David says, forgive me because my sin is great. And it isn't that, that Jesus just kind of glosses over stuff like, oh, hey, you're, it doesn't matter. No big deal. J to forgive you, Jesus died in your place. That's how big of a deal your sin is. But Jesus said, I will pay the ultimate price. I will take upon, upon himself the ultimate curse, the ultimate punishment, so that you could be forgiven of everything. In Isaiah 1, it says, though our, our sins are many, though, though, though our sins are as scarlet, he will wash them white as snow. Right? No, Jesus is saying, hey, no matter how deep the stain is, I can get it out. I can forgive that. There's a point where Jesus says, don't come to me. You're too messed up. You're too broken. You're too sinful. There's never a point where Jesus says that. He said, I've come so that all might be saved. And so, so before we just kind of get to that question of like, well, what does Jesus mean down here? Look at what he's saying. Man, you could be forgiven of every sin. But if he says, hey, you could be forgiven of every sin, and then he says something that you can't be forgiven of, better take notice of it. Better take it seriously. And so when Jesus says, hey, you could be forgiven of every sin, blasphemy against, against the Son of Man, but you can't blaspheme, speak against the, the Holy Spirit. Now, when G Jesus, when he's saying, hey, you could speak against me, but you can't speak against the Holy Spirit or blaspheme me, not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Jesus isn't saying, hey, I'm, I'm like lower than the Holy Spirit, you know, th that the Spirit is, is higher than me, so you, and I'm lower, you can't speak against him. But you can speak against me. Jesus isn't saying that. Or it's not like, hey, you can speak against me, but not against my wife. Right? Jesus isn't saying that. Or, or Jesus isn't saying, hey, I'm cool, but the spirit is sensitive. So just don't. That, 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 that's not, the, or, or that it's even necessarily like a, a bigger or a lesser sin. That isn't the point. Remember what is happening here. The Pharisees, they've seen Jesus. They've heard his teaching. They've seen the healings. They've seen the miracles over and over and over and they've just kept doing this to Jesus, pushing away, resisting, 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 resisting more and more, rejecting, speaking against him. And, and so when Jesus says, hey, you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, think, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? What has the Holy Spirit been doing in the book of Matthew up to this point? The Holy Spirit has been testifying to who Jesus is. Even these miracles... That, that Jesus is doing by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit at work telling all the people around Jesus, that's your Messiah. Hey, you see these miracles? That's your Savior. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing, testifying. This is who Jesus is, pointing to him. And they've been rejecting that. Been just pushing away from that. No, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's by the power of Satan. 
also what is the role of the Holy Spirit? To show you and I, to show the Pharisees where you're wrong. Jesus says at the, at the end of John, hey, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he will convince and convict the world of sin. He's going to show you that you're really messed up. He's going to show you your need for a Savior. But many times we deny it, right? No, we, we deny that we're actually broken, that we're actually incapable of saving ourselves, we don't think that we need a savior. We don't think that we're really that bad. And without the spirit of God, we're not gonna cut through those denials. We're not gonna cut through our, our self-justification that we, that, we, that we think that we're okay. And so the Holy Spirit is revealing, this is what the Holy Spirit has been doing, is revealing to, to the people, to the Pharisees, to, to us today, hey, you are sinful, you are dead by yourself in, in your sin, you need a savior, and that's him, Jesus. He's your savior. And, and if a person doesn't see their, their need for, for a savior, if they don't see their sin, and if they don't see the source of salvation because of their sin, then they're not gonna turn to Christ. I mean, that's, that's what the spirit is doing here. Right, and if, they, if they're completely, if the Pharisees are completely rejecting what the Spirit is doing, showing them their sin, showing them who Jesus is and their need for Jesus, and they just keep pushing that away, then they're, if they reject that, then they, they're never going to turn to Christ. They're never going to repent. Because without repentance, there is no forgiveness of sin. And by, by repent, you, repent is to turn away from your sin, to turn away from your unbelief, and to turn to Christ in belief, in trust. That's what repentance is. And, and if they're rejecting everything that the Spirit is doing, then they're just saying, hey, I'm not ever going to repent. I mean, I, and I would say this might be the key verse to understanding the book of Matthew, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are those who see their spiritual bankruptcy, and the Pharisees can't. They won't see it. And so if you don't see your spiritual bankruptcy, then you won't go to Christ. You won't repent. In Luke 24, 47, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he says, and this message that would be proclaimed, that repentance for forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in the name of Jesus to all the nations. Peter Right, right when at the day of Pentecost, he says, therefore, repent and turn back, turn back to Christ so that your sins may be wiped out. If you don't repent from your sins and turn to Christ, you won't be forgiven. And so what Jesus, Jesus is saying here isn't like, hey, you committed some big bad sin. Ooh, I, I could forgive a lot. I could forgive it. Oh, bummer. You just got, you just committed one too bad. He's saying if you, if a person rejects the Holy Spirit, that he's convicting you and convincing you of your sin, pointing to your, your need of a savior, pointing you to Christ, testifying to who Jesus is, if you reject that completely, there could be no forgiveness of sin because there's no way that you're going, there's no path to repentance. And think here, that this is, the Pharisees are not 
doing this just kind of on a whim. There's not a lack of evidence for them for who Jesus is. Again, they've seen the teaching. They've seen the miracles, all of these things. This is not a careless act. And Jesus is saying either, hey, you have gotten to that point to where you're going to completely reject, you're flirting with it, kind of warning them about that, or he's saying you have. I mean, think of it this way. Let's say that somebody keeps sending you texts over and over and over again. And you just keep ignoring them, keeping ignoring them, keep ignoring them. You're going to get used to ignoring them, right? You're going to get used to not responding to them. But let's say that Jesus is kind of saying, hey, either Pharisees, you have done this, or you're kind of flirting with it, that you're like, you're not just not paying attention to the texts that, that the Holy Spirit is sending you. You're like, you've blocked the caller. You've blocked the sender. Hey, you're flirting with this. Or you either have. And so Jesus is, is pointing them out, hey, you could be forgiven of everything if you repent, but you'll be forgiven of nothing if you don't. If you don't repent and turn to Christ, you're forgiven of no sin, nothing. But if you repent, you could be forgiven of everything. And if you're thinking, okay, Ricky, thanks, but just tell me if I've done this today or not, right? If you're worried... Hey, have I committed blasphemy or speaking against the Holy Spirit? If you're even worried about that, I would tell you you're, you haven't. Prob probably not. Because you're even worried about it. You're even actually wanting to please God in some way. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you haven't. You can't. And, and if you haven't trusted in Christ and, and you're still kind of like, man, I... But Ricky, I haven't given my life to, to Jesus. Have I done this? Again, I'd say, I really, really doubt it. I mean, you're t here today in church wanting to hear preaching about Jesus. Right there, there's a movement in your life. Here, Jesus is not just talking about just unbelief. Hey, you just don't believe and you're, and you're wonder, or even still kind of wondering about Jesus. Hey, you've, you either have or you're kind of getting on this path to utter complete rejection of Christ that you would... There's no path for you to repentance because you won't do it. Now, if you're wondering, you know, okay, like, all right, Ricky, hey, thanks, I haven't done this. But hey, what about somebody else I know? Have they done this? I would just say, don't worry about that. God knows a person's heart, not you. I don't know if, I don't think you need to worry about if somebody's crossed that line. If you go into the book of Acts, you know, so, so because the disciples are here with Jesus, hearing them talk about this, what I don't see in Acts is the, the apostles going around like, hey, turn to Christ. Hey, wait a minute, Reggie. I see you there. Have you committed the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Right? They don't ask anybody that. That, that doesn't seem to be on their, their mind if they're wondering if people have done that. Right? They're just like, here's the gospel. Respond. Here's Jesus. Turn to him. And so, you know, if, if you haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior, my encouragement to you, man, Jesus is obviously talking about some serious stuff here. And I just want you to know you could be forgiven of every sin, everything, if you just repent and turn to Christ. It's, it's not you proving yourself to God. 
It's not you trying to earn it. It's not you trying to clean yourself up and then go to God. It is coming to Jesus just as you are in belief and just saying, I'm, I'm, I need you. I trust in you. And that's how you're saved is by the grace, by the free gift of Jesus Christ, what he has done for you, not what you have done for him. And if you, and so I, man, just trust in Christ today. I'm like, why wait? If, if you have trusted in Jesus, here would be my encouragement to you. Yeah, you can't, you can't blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. But I would say, hey, are you resisting the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life? The Holy Spirit is leading you, guiding you towards, towards me. You know, there's maybe some, I'm sure, I mean, there's, there's sin in all of our lives. But he's still saying, hey, keep repenting. Keep turning to Christ. And I, I, th I think a lot of times we have this kind of misperception that as we grow in our relationship with Christ and as we mature, that we repent less often. That is just not true. In high school, I would say like I felt pretty good. I was like, hey, how bad is Ricky? Meh, not too bad. I was, I was a believer in Jesus. How often did I repent? I don't know, not too often because I didn't have too much stuff to repent of. That's at least what I thought. But as I've grown closer and closer to Christ, actually I repent more often because the, the spirit of God continues to reveal to me things that aren't lining up with who Jesus is. And so as you mature in Christ, you actually repent more often and you actually re repent with more like passion towards it, towards Christ. And so is there any way today that you're kind of just being resistant to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Don't get used to that. And also I'd say, man, if you've trusted in Christ, this, is, this should be an encouragement for us to share the gospel. Because here's the, here's the reality. There is no other way for this world to know the hope and the love of Christ without Jesus. That's it. There is no other way that people can be forgiven of their sins, be saved from death and come to life without Christ. We, we, we should have a level of urgency about us in our life to be like, man, you can be forgiven of everything, world. Come to Christ, the source of love, the source of, of forgiveness of life. I feel like many times we do, we, I think many times the church, if in America at least, tends to kind of think that if their neighbor doesn't stink that bad and isn't that big of a jerk, then they're probably okay. Right there, there we have one hope. This world only has one hope. We could, we could be pointing him, people, to the name of Christ. They're under his name, there is no forgiveness or, or life. And so even the Holy Spirit's probably leading a bunch of, you know, lots of us to be like, hey, be bold, be praying for your neighbor, be praying for your coworker. And so in this, this first part, we just see this, hey, hearts are being hardened. These, these Pharisees, their hearts continue to be hardened more and more to Christ. Next point, last point is this, hearts revealed. Hearts revealed. And so Jesus, he just says, hey, verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit um, will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, you know, like offspring uh, of, of snakes, of serpents. How can you speak good things when you are evil? 
For the mouth speaks from the overflow, from the abundance of the heart. A good per person produces good things from a storeroom of good, and evil produces evil things from the storeroom of evil in their heart. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will either be acquitted or by your words, you will be condemned. And so blasphemy of the spirit, it is a sin of the heart, not of the lips, but the lips, Jesus is kind of going along with this point. Hey, but the lips, the things that you speak reveal your, what is going on in your heart. What your mouth says reveals what's inside of you. The root of the tree determines the fruit. And Jesus' point is that a person's character, what's in a person's heart, is going to determine what they say. And, and so the Pharisees, their extreme slander of Jesus is revealing their rejection of him. And hey, it's not that they just need to change what they're saying, but they need a change of, of attitude, and, and um, you know, out of the abundance, out of the overflow, the heart speaks. One of my neighbors down the street, he has these remote control cars. And that might sound lame, but they're awesome. I mean, they go like 60 plus miles an hour. And, and so, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, he hasn't asked me to drive one yet. Um, but um, he actually did ask my son Colton, and he pushed the button. I was like, no, and then he ran and hit one of the other neighbor's kids. So I felt bad. But, um, but anyways, these things fly, and he has these ramps, and they'll be jumping off, and um, and, and they're super cool. And here's what, what everybody's eyes, mine included, are drawn to. They're drawn to the car. Look at how fast that car is going. Look at what it's doing. But what is controlling that car? Right? It's not the car. It's the remote control. And Jesus is saying, hey, everybody sees your mouth. But what's controlling that mouth is your heart. Out of the overflow, out of the abundance, your heart controls what you say. And so this question isn't, hey, like for you, I would say the question isn't, does your mouth match your belief? I wouldn't say that that's the question you should be thinking. Your mouth does match what you believe. What does your mouth say that you believe? What does your mouth say that you really value? What you really care about? I like it how um, uh, speaker Jackie Hill Perry puts it. She puts, what you say bears the weight of who you really are. If you want to know how your heart really is, pay attention to the words your heart produces. It's good. What, what do your words, who do, who do your words say you are? Do your words, does your mouth show that you're filled with bitterness? That you're filled with comparison to others? That your heart is filled with anxiety or anger? Or that you're, you're anxious and just so worried about how secure you are in this world? Are you commonly critical? And I know you might just be like, well, that's just who I am. Well, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> right? That's why nobody likes you. Are you just very critical? Right? It's, it's not because you're gifted in pointing out what's, what other people need to improve on. You just might have a critical heart. And here, when, when um, 
I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, we can't ever have a word slip or we can't ever speak criticism or we can't ever have an anxious word. But again, he's just saying, hey, out of the abundance of the heart, that's what your mouth's going to say. And I don't want to just zing you with this one. I'm, I'm actually asking this question to reflect. Does your mouth show that you really love and value Jesus? That you're like, man, he is my life. Does your conversation seem like that? Would your friends be like, man, that, I don't know if I agree with him, but man, that guy loves Jesus. That guy loves people. She is so kind. If your speech hasn't changed, then that means something inside hasn't changed. And Jesus even goes on to say, hey, even a careless word is going to be judged. I mean, who hasn't said a careless word? I mean, I have. Even in a sermon. See, that wasn't in the notes. Boom. <laughs> right, and a, and a careless word. Jesus doesn't say even an offensive word. He says a careless word. This is like the least offensive act. But he says that even if a careless word is enough to condemn you, rather than kind of big things like evil and greed and slander, if we're even going to be held accountable for those, then, then what are we to do? Repent. Again, just going back, every sin will be forgiven. Think, think of the disciple Peter. I have to admit, when I was, started to read the Bible in high school, I really liked Peter because he would say things, and I would be like, yeah, that was awesome. And then P Jesus would rebuke him, and then I felt like Jesus was rebuking me because um, I was like, oh, bummer. I thought that was the right thing to say. You know, and Peter's like, oh, no. Jesus is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go die. P Peter's like, no, no way. Oh, get behind me, Satan. Oof. Jesus, I'm going to wash all of your feet. Peter, nope, don't, you can't wash mine. Well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Oh, well, then wash my head too. Peter's saying all these weird things. I mean, Peter, when he's confronted again by some, you know, middle school, high school girl, hey, do you know who Jesus is? Oh, oh, high schooler intimidated. Nope, I don't know her. I don't know Jesus. But he was forgiven. He was forgiven. So, so if... If you're like, man, hey, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about this, and man, I have a lot of careless words, or I have a lot of words that tear people down, that are destructive. If you're really good at getting online and just letting it fly, and just letting everybody else know how dumb they are, or if you are like, man, I'm yell at my kids, and that reveals the anger that's in my heart, here would be my encouragement to you, repent. Confess that. You don't need to sugarcoat it. Just every sin will be forgiven. Go to God. Repent. Not, not, not just so that you're forgiven, but so that he shapes you. Because our words can hurt, but they can heal. The Proverbs 12, 18 says, Therefore, if there is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Your words have power. So use them. I mean, what, what my hope, and, and not that it isn't this way, but my hope for me personally and for us as a church is that, man, our words bring healing to one another. That our words bring healing to the people that we work with. Our words bring healing on social media and online. That, that, that we are a people that show that we absolutely love Jesus and that we love others that we don't place our trust in the things of this 
world and our security is there, but our trust is in Christ, that, that we're thankful people. That we're not complaining, but we're just like, God, you've given me so much. And our words say that, that we, that we encourage one another. We lift one another up. Not that there isn't a place that we speak honestly about ways that we can improve. We still want to sharpen one another. But the way that we speak is just different because we're different. Out of the abundance of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We live in a world that is very quick-tempered, right? Quick to anger, quick to speak, slow to listen. But what if we're different? What if it's like, man, those people are humble. They're, they're listening to God. They're listening to people. So how do we get to that place? How do, how do we have not just a mouth transformation, but a heart transformation? We need to deal with the source of our words. We need to deal with our hearts. And we, the first thing we said was, was basically repent. Two things. Here, refocus to Christ. It's really easy to focus on everything that's wrong with that person. It's really easy to focus on what's wrong with the world. But refocus to Christ. Whatever you give your attention to shapes you, shapes what you care about, and it'll shape what you say. Whatever you give your attention to, that's how you'll start talking. Whether it's to how messed up something is, whether it's, you know, you're like, hey, Ricky, you talk a lot about cookies and Star Wars. Well, I'm giving some attention to that. Praise God. Right? <laughs> right? Whatever you give your attention. And so, so shift your focus, refocus to Christ. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And I, I mean, I don't just say these things at the end of just, you know, hey, be positive or like, hey, Jesus. But it's the object of our faith is not ourselves. The object of our faith is Christ. Just, just think of the, the, if out of the abundance, out of the overflow, the mouth speaks, let's just listen to the words of Jesus because that's coming out of his heart. Lepers come to Jesus. Jesus, if you're willing, I am willing, be healed. Jesus is tempted by Satan to use the word, his words to serve himself to make bread out of stone, but Jesus doesn't do that. His words are scripture. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. He says that he came to call sinners. Jesus says that I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And yeah, Jesus here calls him a brood of vipers. And we might think like, oh gosh, that's really bad. But think of this. Jesus, I, I really think here is, is warning them. Jesus isn't trying to just zing them. Hey, you stink. Bam. You're about to reject everything that God has put in front of you. You're rejecting me. You're rejecting the Holy Spirit. Guys, wake up. And man, this has gotten to such this, this point that you're just being so dull. You're a brood of vipers. I'm even just kind of calling you a name just to wake you up. I mean, if somebody was playing in the street, if one of my kids were playing the street and I'm just like, oh, hey, don't do that. But if there's a car coming, my language is going to increase. Even if I do call them a name, it's like, dummy, get out of the road. Right, I'm actually saying that out of love. Right, Jesus is warning them, just warning the arrogant. In Luke 15, the prodigal son, right, the, the lost son that goes off and just squanders everything, spends all, you know, disrespects his dad, dishonors him, spends everything, and he's just eating the pig slop. And he's like, man, I'll just go home. I'll see if I could be one of my dad's servant, right? And we, we love this part. Man, the, the dad runs to the son, runs to the lost son, the prodigal, brings him back in. And that's, it. that's Jesus' way of saying, hey, the, the sinners, the really, the really bad people out there, this is God's heart towards them. 
And the older son, who thinks that he's always been following his father so well, doesn't go in to celebrate. And what does the father do? He goes out to him too. The father goes out there to the Pharisee and he pleads with the, with his, the older brother, the older son, and says, please come celebrate. That's the, that's the heart of God speaking even to the Pharisees. Before the crucifixion, Jesus from the garden, man, if possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. On the cross, what does Jesus even say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then Jesus says, man, it is finished. All sin is paid for. And so refocus to Christ. Last thing is this, be responsive to the Holy Spirit. That's what this whole passage is about, right? Be not resisting or rejecting the Holy Spirit, but, but be responsive to him. Jesus said, man, I'll give you a helper. You can't do this alone. I'm going to send you the helper in James 3, 8. James says, no one can tame the tongue. No one. That's true. None of us can do this by ourselves. We can't control our tongue or transform our hearts, but the Spirit of God can. The power of God can. And so I'd, I'd encourage you, like, hey, Ricky, I, I want to be changed. I want to have my heart be changed, that my words are changed. I want to, man, start right now today and just say, and ask the Holy Spirit to help you be responsive to him. Just ask God for the help to be responsive to him in the big things, in the little things, in everything. Because he is speaking, he is at work, and he's changing hearts, and that, that our hearts would be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And that that's what our, our mouths are speaking, is, is the fruit of the Spirit is the heart of God. Don't settle for a shallow faith of mere morality. But be filled with the Holy Spirit and ask him to come to help you. Because we're, we're not the source of transformation. We're not the source of these things. We look to Christ. We look to his spirit to mold us and to shape us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we, we just thank you, Lord, that, that you would... Um, even just use this passage, Lord, to warn them back then, but even to warn us today, Lord, are, are we being in just any ways resistant to who you are? Lord, I pray that um, you would help us, Lord, today to look to you, to be responsive to you, Lord, that, and that, that you would just do a great and mighty work in shaping our hearts, shaping our words, Lord, that our words would reveal a people that just are absolutely in love with you, know that we're loved by you, and love this world. So just do a great and mighty work, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.